right, turn to the person beside you and say, you sure look better than you did last week. Okay, go ahead and tell them. Turn to the other side and say, no comment, all right? So good to see everybody here this morning at New Life Church. If it was only 70 degrees outside, it would be the perfect day. And so, um, unfortunately, it's not Arkansas heat, summertime. But we're glad that you guys came out on just a hot morning uh, to just celebrate the love of, of God in this place. Listen, VBS starts tomorrow. We put our hands together for VBS, yeah. It's going to be a great week. This is the biggest event that we do. Okay, so it is the biggest outreach that we're involved in. We'll pack this place out with kids. Um, our children's pastors have been working so hard um, over the past two months to just uh, put this thing together. And so we just want to thank every single person in advance who's going to serve, who's donated items, who's going to bring a kiddo. Um, whatever uh, your level of involvement is, we just want to thank you right now for that. And also, if you are that person who you're not able to serve through the week, but you want to check out VBS and what it looks like, you need to come this Thursday night. It's family night. It's open to the public. Um, you can come, get a taste of what VBS is like, high-five some kids. We're going to have some food trucks here. So just come and, uh, and just be a, a, a part and just enjoy the atmosphere of VBS. It's very, very exciting. And so don't miss out on VBS this week. This summer, we've been in a, in a, a big series uh, called Did You Know? And it's been our rotation series for the summer, meaning we've had all of our pastors are in ro rotation for the summer months. And um, so we've all kind of been talking and, and answering questions from Scripture about, did you know? And so uh, this morning, I just want to talk about the topic, uh, a, a topic um, that I've wanted to talk about for a long time. And uh, I think it's uh, important to God, and I think it's a great time of year to do that. And so I just want to talk about rest, okay? I want to talk about rest and I want to talk about what God thinks about rest, okay? How many of you enjoy rest? Just right, raise your hand, yeah. And so uh, some of you, uh, you rest a lot. You do it well. Um, for some of you, you've got a favorite chair, a favorite couch, a, a place where you rest. For some of you, you don't do this well at all, okay? I mean, you really stink at it. You are terrible at resting, terrible at unplugging. And so I want to talk about that this morning. Let me start off by saying this. We seem to be living in a world that stages a lot of life. We are great at staging. So we stage our lives through Instagram. Um, we enjoy using filters because they hide our flaws. We retake a selfie two to three times to get that perfect angle of our face. Riley asked me a few weeks ago, Dad, how do they make all the homes on HGTV look so good? I said, because it's staged, okay? And so, truthfully, we can stage anything. We can stage our marriage. We can stage our success. We can even stage our walk with God. And so, I don't know if, if you've noticed, but you can have the career that you've always prayed for. You can be married to the person of your dreams. You can even do hot yoga and still not be well, okay? You cannot be, be well. Third John 
chapter 2 in the ESV says, says this to us. And this is really great. And this is where I'm going to anchor everything that we're talking about this morning. It says, Beloved, I pray that all, everybody say all, may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Okay, now I want to read it again. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So John is saying that the condition of our life is completely interconnected to the condition of our soul. They, they have a strong bond. And how well we are doing in life is really based upon how well we're doing in the condition of our soul. How well we're doing with God, how well we're doing spiritually. And so it is possible to have complete order on the outside, meaning you, you can be organized, you can have the widest smile, you can have the best fitting jeans, and still be in complete disarray on the inside, a complete disorder. You can only be as well as you are on the inside, as John says, as it goes well with your soul is as healthy as you're going to be. Psalm 103.1 says this. This is David talking. He says, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, he says, praise his holy name. All my inmost being, that is your soul. He says, when I praise you, I want it to come from that place. I want my inmost being to be healthy, I want it to be in love with you. I want it to be focused on you. I want that part of me that no one can touch except you, God. From that place, I want my life to overflow from there, from my inmost being. Okay? The Bible uses all kinds of synonyms to talk about our, our inmost being. It mentions the heart, the mind, the intelligence, the conscience, the emotions, the will of man. All of these synonymously come back to our inmost being. And so David, A, again, is saying, that's where I want to praise you from, from my mind. I, I want to praise you from my conscience. I, I want to I praise you from my, my will. I choose you. And so out of that comes the strength for us to live our daily lives, to face the daily challenges, to keep on making it through and, and do it with a lot of joy. Okay, now Peter goes on and talks about suffering well. And we can talk about that, that later. But it's still, it all comes from that inmost being. Solomon asked a very hard question. This question came at the end of his life. He's writing out what we call Ecclesiastes. And in chapter 2, verse 22, he, he says this, this question. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving in which he labors. All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. Solomon is saying, as I look, as I observe, as I rule these people, as I've, as I've been gifted with a gift of wisdom from God, there is something that I see that's rising above other circumstances, and it's this. I see a cycle of people 
going through the same motions of work and toil and anxiety and drive and what is it getting them? They even lay down at night and they can't rest. Okay, and so he's seeing this, this pattern. A restless soul will search and never find. This is why you can have the car, the home, the title, and still be suicidal. Because the soul is restless. The inmost being is in turmoil. It doesn't have joy. St. Augustine once said, You, God, have made us for yourself, and our soul is restless until it finds rest in you. Because you made us, nothing else is going to fill this in, in, in my life. The only thing that's going to give me rest is when I'm completely and totally in you. When I find my rest in you, not from stuff I could put around me, from people that I could net, network with, places I could go, something I could wear. None of that stuff is going to bring my soul rest. Only you, God. This can describe so many people, maybe some of you sitting here this morning. You take a vacation, but you don't rest, especially if you have children. You're not resting. You're just going somewhere. You are anxious, raising your children in an on-the-go society. Go, 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 go. And the next day, go, go, go. You serve others, but you want to know, really, at, at the core of you, who's serving me? You look around, oh, Nobody's helping me. Nobody's asking about me. Nobody's praying for me. And it becomes a, very, a, a, a tension for you. You pray over your lottery tickets. I know you do because I see you. I see you right down here at the, at the, at the double B's. You, you get your ticket. You get your whole family around. You lay your hands on it. I've seen you in your car. You pray. You tell your five-year-old pray. God loves children. Pray. Pray over this. God, please bless the lottery tickets. Because you want something to happen. Because you think in your mind, if, if only this or that happened, then life would be different. Rest would be different. The anxiety that I have, the, the attentions, the pace of life would all change if this or this or this it would happen. I love this definition of stress. It, it says this. A feeling that's experienced when a person perceives that demands exceed their resources. Okay? I want to say it one, one more time. A feeling experienced when a person perceives that demands exceed their resources. Meaning this, it's all too much. The demands on my life exceed my resources. That there's so much anxiety, I don't have the joy in my life to even combat it. That there's so much pressure I don't have the resource of strength to stand against it. Thus, stress comes in because you don't have the resource to combat the demand. It's all too much. Stress can physically alter our brains. It impacts the way we learn. It impacts the way we make choices. It clouds our judgment. It impacts our sleep and stops our bodies from rejuvenating. Again, Solomon says it this way in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 3. He says, too much activity gives you restless dreams. I love that. Kind of this random thought. When I'm too busy, I'm restless at night, I'm dreaming weird. 
I'm having crazy dreams. Some of y'all right now having crazy dreams. Okay? You can't rest. You're tossing. You're turning. Your dreams are vivid. And, you're, and, 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 and it's all driven by stress. Okay? Luke 21. Let's look at, at this verse 34. This is the amplified version I'm reading. He says, But take heed to yourselves and be on your guard. Now, let me, before I finish the rest of this, let me tell you why this is important. He says, take heed to yourselves and be on your guard, meaning this. It is your responsibility to look after yourself. Yours. Nobody else's. Not, not your spouse, not your children, not your doctor. It is your responsibility to take heed, to guard yourself, to give yourself a self-check. Where am I in life? Where's my stress? Where's my, my rest? Is it affecting my spirit, man? Am I able to come to church and even worship? Am I growing in God, et cetera, et cetera? Okay, so let's, let's move on. He says, unless your heart be overburdened and depressed with the headache and nausea of self-indulgence, drunkenness, and worldly worry and care pertaining to this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap or a noose. That's pretty strong. He's saying, listen, you got to guard yourself. You got to do a self check. You got to know where you are. Or there's going to be a day when it's like suddenly you find yourself, you feel like you're in a noose. Like you've fallen into a trap and you don't know how you got there. You don't know where it started. You don't know the origin of it. All you know is where you are right now and it's too much. And you're not resting. We're all intentionally or unintentionally seeking. For the soul to find rest. Sometimes we look in the wrong places, like at a person, a place, or a thing, and we hope that that person, place, or thing can change our lives, can bring us rest. This is a tension recorded on almost every page in Scripture. The tensions. We're not the only people to have ever faced this. When you read the Word, you quickly pick up on this. So let's just say it plainly. No man, no woman... No dream vacation, no purchase, no amount of likes, no nip and tuck can rest your soul. Okay? None of it. Only God. He, can, he is the only one that can truly have access to the inmost being and change it. And from that place is where our joy comes from. It's where our rest comes from. Matthew 16 and 26 says, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Okay, now I want to put this in context. When we always preach this, we're always talking about our, our soul eternity and the loss of it, and we're challenging us to, to witness, to talk about our faith in, in, in the marketplace. And we're like, listen, people are going to lose their soul eternally. But I want, to, I want to give a different angle to it right here for just a, a moment. What if there are people who are here this morning or people you are married to, or friends that you hang out with who have already lost their soul and has nothing to do with hell. But they've lost the inmost being. It's like it's just imploded upon itself. That they struggle spiritually to even find that place anymore because it's so overwhelmed and so full of burdens and so packed full of life that to even talk to them about a topic like, like this is somewhere way out, out here in left field. They've lost 
their soul. They just, they're restless. They have an empty soul in this life. So let's look at the remedy. This is coming from, from Christ. This is what he says in Matthew chapter 11. Verse 28. I'm going to read this from the Message Bible. I know some of you don't think that's anointed, but I'm going to read it anyway. <laughs> chapter 11, verse 28 says this. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Okay? This is the life that Jesus invites us to. A life of rest. A life of ease. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Okay? The King James says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. This goes on to, to, to describe you'll live freely and lightly. This is what Christ is trying to get us to make part of our daily walk. Come to me. Know that I am with you. Know that, that life with me can, can, be, can be easy in me if you are resting in me, placing your burdens upon me. Okay, this is the life he's invited us to. So to talk about this, I want to go to 1 Kings chapter 17 for just a moment. We'll take little quips out of a very long story. 1 Kings chapter 17, I'm going to talk about the prophet Elijah. Elijah is that prophet we all know because he did some crazy things. He had some incredible miracles that worked through his hand, through his voice. He was very confident, and yet he, he was like us in that he had big mood swings. He went from being overjoyed to praying for death within a chapter. Okay? He was very, very human. But God was doing something amazing through his life. And so I want to look at two particular chapters here and just talk about that. So let's look at 17 and verse 1. It says, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe. That's always, that always cracks me up. Kevin the Tishbite from Tishbe. In Gilead said to Ahab, Watch this. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Okay, that, that's, that's pretty confident. It's not going to rain until I tell it to. So he knows God is on his side. He's got a lot of confidence, got a lot of faith. He's got this incredible relationship with God where he is doing things. He's moving heaven and earth to accomplish God's will. And he says, unless I say so, it's not going to rain. Okay, listen, here's the first thing I'm going to talk about. When you are rested, you are at your greatest potential. When you are rested, you are at your greatest potential. You are confident in everything you do because everything is working when you get the rest that you need. At this point in his life, Elijah's full of God, and you can tell that he's got a lot of confidence by this, at my word. 
And when you are rested, when you are full, you do everything with confidence. You parent with confidence. You pray with confidence. You take on challenges with confidence. You hold your head up with confidence because you are rested in your inmost being. But when you are weary and tired, you make poor and hasty decisions. I have made decisions before when I was tired, and it's not good. It's also not good in a world driven by social media. And I've made two Facebook posts when I was tired and did not need to. My first was about Plexus. And I found out real quick that we have approximately 245 senior Ruby ambassadors that attend here. Let that soak for just a minute. Okay. The second mistake on Facebook was political. I found out real quick not everyone saw the Obama administration the way I did. Okay? But I was tired on both of these, weary, and shot off an opinion very quickly. When you're tired, we lose sight of healthy boundaries. Okay? One of the best messages that I've heard in the past 10 years was actually by our Chris Insel. He taught our staff how to say no to the things we're not called to. It was very important, it was very timely that when we are tired, we tend to say yes to anything. Okay, yeah, I'll do it. Okay, yeah, I'll do it. But when we're healthy and rested, we're able to have healthy boundaries. We can say no to things that we're not called to. And when we keep the things that we're not called to out of our lives, we're more efficient and we stay healthy and we stay rested. But when we're saying yes to everybody and everything, then we get bogged down and we get sicker and sicker. So 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 2 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide at the brook Cherith, okay, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food. So he did what the Lord told him. He went to the brook Cherith, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. The second thing I want to talk about this morning is this. Everyone has a brook cherith in their life. You have to go there. God is going to provide a brook of rest in your life, but you got to find out what it is. You got to figure out what it is and get to it. Go there. Obey the call to to be there to have a brook in your life where God replenishes you where he ministers to you, to your inmost being. God designed your body and your soul to revolve around rest. For some of you, it's a hobby. It's golf. It's hunting. It's restoring cars. It's cooking. For some of you, it's exercise. It's CrossFit. It's marathons. It's, it's Tough mutter. For some of you, it's reading. You escape into a story that's not yours. For some, it's travel, the city, the mountains, island hopping. For some of you, it's personal care, massages, manicures, pedicures, facials. Everyone has a brook. Everyone has a thing that will allow you to unplug and get some rest. 
and to take a look at your life and where you are. Everyone has one. David called his a hiding place. You got to imagine this. Here is a king, a wealthy king, a popular king, everything at his demand. The house of the king was buzzing with people who just wanted to serve. He can't ever escape. He's never alone. And so I love the way he describes this. God, you're my hiding place. You're where I can go and no one can find me. I don't have to make any choices. I don't have to be strategic in my thinking. I don't have to present well. I don't have to impress anybody. I can just hide in you. You are my hiding place. Psalm 32, 7. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble. Now watch this, because David uses this, and I think it's brilliant. He says, and you surround me with songs of deliverance. There are many times in Scripture where the imagery is given that God is singing over us. And when you explore those, the imagery that's being communicated there is actually the same image of a mother who would be holding a child that was at rest while she sang. And so David is saying, that's what you do for me. You calm me. You soothe me. You sing songs over me. And it's rich and it's good and it refreshes me and it allows me to leave and then step into being a king again. It, it fills me up. It makes me happy. It gives me joy. It makes me want to pray. It makes me want to have faith again. When I have been to my hiding place, when you don't know what gives you rest, when you don't have a map to your brook, you falsify the experience of rest. Here's where it gets dangerous to us. When we can't find it, we will make it happen. We will create it. Okay? So, you take an Ambien, you drink wine, then you take an Ambien while drinking wine, you exhaust yourself to the point of collapsing. Because if you just go rest, you, you can't. You just you won't shut it down. So you have to keep going until your body says, I just can't do it anymore. And you collapse wherever that might be. You might fall asleep in a chair with your boots on and stay there until 3 a.m. Because you finally, your body just finally said, Enough is enough. I can't do it anymore. I'm out. And you make rest hunt you down in a very unhealthy way. We force our minds to numb, our bodies to collapse, all in the name of rest. So here's what, what we need this morning. Let me give you some practicality. you got to have three big things, and I'm going to tell you three more of how, how to do it. The first thing is this. You need a daily moment of rest, a daily moment where you take a nap, where you take a break, where you take a breath, and you do it daily. It's in your life. It's part of your faith walk, your journey with God daily, a break, a breath, a pause every single day. Then you need, the second thing is you need weeks of being unplugged. This is your vac vacation time. 
You need to get out of, of, of the city, out of your house, out of your circumstance, out of your decision-making patterns. You need to get out of every single thing and completely disconnect away from technology, away from the world as you know it, and let your body and mind and spirit rest. And third, you need to have seasons of reflection. You need to set aside time frames where you think about your soul, your health, your relationships, how important your family is for an entire season. For 90 days, I'm going to work on my personal health, on where my mind is at, on where my spirit is, on where I am with God. And I'm going to focus on that for 90 days. I'm going to create in my life a season of reflection. I'm putting my foot down on my own life. I'm going to make myself. Face the music of where I really am. Daily moments of rest, weeks of being unplugged, and seasons of reflection. Here's the way that we can do that. Similar practicality. Resist the temptation to be, be busy. Man, we're, we're busy. Your kids are busy. You're busy. Life is busy. Home is busy. A lot of our homes, because we have segued our, our culture to a, a, a different place, and none of this is wrong, hear me. But you've got both the, the mom and the dad working, or, you, or you're here today and you're a single parent. And so all you do is you, you, you work, then you come home and you do your second job at home. How many of you hate laundry? How many of y'all are mad at Adam and Eve for screwing it all up? I am, okay. I mean, you just rather walk around naked than to do one more thing of laundry. So you go home and you got, you got laundry and, and the stuff and, and what's for dinner? My wife hates to hear this because about our, our kid, I don't know if she's growing or what, but like at 3 o'clock, she's like, what's for dinner? She's hungry. I don't know. It's weird. So we got two, two jobs, then you got your social life. You got, you got church. You got activities in this community, things that you want to be involved in. Your kids are involved in sports and dance and gymnastics and on and on and on. And, and, it, and it never ends, so refuse Resist the temptation to be, be busy. The second thing is reframe your life with the Word of God. Have, have meditation and reflection on God's Word. What is God's Word telling you about you? Because we listen to the media, we listen to each other, we listen to the television, we listen to a lot of opinions about how the world thinks that we should be, but what is God saying about you? So take some moments to reflect on the Word of God. You don't have to jump in and read six chapters a day. You don't have to be, you don't have to be that person. Find you one nugget and soak on it all day, day long. God, what do you want, want, want me to get from that one verse today? And just wring it out in your spirit. Let every drop of it get down into your guts. And third, respond to Christ's invitation to rest. Jesus is saying, come to me, I want to give you rest. Don't fight that. Go rest. Put it on him. Don't think that you are, are weak-minded. If you have to carry your thoughts and burdens and perceptions and the challenges of life and place them upon God, it's the way he designed you to come to him. To get rest. Okay? When those lines become gray, we start making mistakes and we get weary. 
So 1 Kings 17, 7 says this, and it happened, I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up, okay? And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So here's my third and final thought today. Everyone has a brook, but you can't stay there. Resting is a part of life. It is cyclical. It is something we must do in order to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. A tired, fatigued, exhausted Christian is almost worthless when it comes to spiritual application in life because you're exhausted. You're not excited about your walk with God. You're not excited about winning others. Your vision becomes very, very, very small. The focus is now on just your home life. Missions is far away because you're just spent. Your circumstances are so overwhelming that you can't dare think about somebody else. Resting is meant to be something we come in and out of. It is for refueling and rejuvenating and going back out and conquering life. It's what allows us to be a dreamer. Resting can easily become laziness. So this is why God allows the brook to dry up. Because if you look in verse 8, he still needed somebody to implement his plan. There was a widow who needed a miracle. There was fire that needed to fall from heaven. And he needed a person to do it. But he needed a person to do it who was full in their inmost being. And so it, it saddens me sometimes when I can tell that the, the overall feel of, of a Sunday or maybe the feel of a few families can they come in here on a Sunday just limping spiritually, barely making it. I mean, you, you can tell almost by looking without even having a spiritual gift of discernment that they, they just look disheveled. They, they look like they had a fight on the way here. They look like they would sell their children if the option was there because they're not at rest suddenly this what's supposed to be a very sacred moment, an opportunity for us to grow and reach toward God just becomes something else to do on the calendar. We got to go to church because that's what we do. We go to church on Sunday. Instead of it being this moment with the Savior to come to Him, to rest in Him, to recenter ourselves, it's just, okay, we check that off. What's going on for Monday? We, You know, it just becomes one of those things. So my challenge to us this morning is this, to come to God, to accept the invitation for rest. And for some of you, this is going to be a big challenge because you're, you're hardwired to just go 150 miles an hour or because of whatever things have unfolded in your life, you've been forced to go at that speed for so long, you don't know how to unplug. You don't know how to disconnect. So you're really going to have to put the work in to go, how does this apply to me? How do I rest? As a single mom, how do I rest? As two working parents who have children involved in all kinds of activity, who love their church and love serving it, how are we going to rest? And you're going to have to let the Holy Spirit answer that and let Him lead you to a brook in your life. And when you're there, let him bring it to you. 
Let him feed you. Let him bring you water. Let him restore you. And you'll know when it's time to move on. You'll know when it's time to go, okay, I've I've rested enough. I feel alive. It's time for me to, to go back at it. Okay? So bow your heads with me this morning. Let me pray over us.